preach out of them. But two things that, uh, if you notice the songs that Jeremy had lined up tonight, they were all about keeping your eyes on the Lord, every one of them. And uh, uh, how many of you remember the late 70s? Anybody? Most of you do. I think as I look around the room, everybody here remembers the late 70s. I remember when it was a particularly uh, uh, particularly rough time for our country. There was gas shortages and uh, Iran and all kinds of goofy stuff going on and people lined up for a mile getting gas and things like that. And I'll never forget that uh, President Carter, uh, whether you like him or don't like him, he read, he read it really good and I think it applies to today. He said, "There's a we're enduring a national malaise right now. And I always remember that. I was uh, 26 years old when he said that. And I thought, you know, a lot of people didn't get along with President Carter, but at the same time, uh, he was the president. And he called it out, uh, and he used the word, there's a national malaise. And I looked that up, and it says, a general feeling of discomfort. How many of you are a little uncomfortable? Anybody? I'm not trying to egg you on to anything, but malaise is a general feeling of discomfort, illness, or uneasiness whose exact cause is difficult to identify. Everybody got that? And, you know, I think there's kind of a malaise right now going on over us. I'm glad we're in the Lord's house tonight. I think uh, it's, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. And, uh, but, you know, after he stated that, then not too long after that, President Reagan came on board and things and kind of got things back on the right path and uh, was a great president. And, uh, but there's all kinds of things that have factored into this. One of them is uh, uh, the election. It didn't go like a lot of us wanted, wanted it to go. Then you have the COVID thing and um, just, you know, winter. And uh, Dan was telling me before church tonight that the food pantry has been so far down that people have not come back to the pantry. And, uh, you know, it's just a general uneasiness. And we can't blame it on any one thing. But we'll come out of it. We we'll come out of it. One way or the other, either we'll go home to be with the Lord and he, or he'll fix things down here. So our trust is in him. And I thought of Hebrews 12, 2 and 1. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. That's why we need to praise him when we come in here. I don't care how we feel. If you've got to really force yourself, it's worth it in the end. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Everyone, we all have a corporate race and we have individual races that is set before us. But here's what I wanted to get to. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what we see going on in our country has a beginning and it has an end. But we know who had a bigger beginning and who has the last say. He's the author of what we believe. And he's going to be the finisher of the product, which is us. Because we're, we're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So he's our author. And I'm going to stick around for the finish of the book. Amen. 
everything down here is not going to convince me otherwise because that's what I've hung my hat on, as they say, an old saying. And look what it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's where he went, and that's where he is. And that's where he's going to stay until he comes back. Amen? And one more scripture I want to share real quick. Um, this has always meant a lot to me, this scripture. Psalm 3 and verse 3. And so how do you fight a malaise? Well, you just got to fight through it. You got to keep on doing the things that you know to be true. We just can't do them in good times. We got to do them in hard times too. Because that's, that's what, where the rubber meets the road. As they say. I'm full of good sayings tonight. But anyhow, Psalm 3 was David and his son Absalom was chastening. Remember that. Pretty, pretty rough time of malaise and uneasiness and illness and discomfort. But he said, but thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. You are my glory and the lifter up of my head. So that's what we can depend on tonight. My glory. You know, another thing that's played into this is Mike and Debbie are here and they can't travel and do anything right now. I've got a son in Mexico that, you know, there's always a chance we would not be able to see him again or something. And so there's big stakes at what's going on here. So we got to continue to do what we're doing to fulfill our calling. And uh, we're still going to have prayer on Friday and we're still going to have church on Sunday because he's the glory and the lifter up of our head. The other way is not the way to go. We can't slip into discouragement because that leads to despair, depression, and despair. And once you hit despair, that's being without hope. And we are not people without hope. Amen. Amen. Come on, buddy. Praise the Lord for that. Can I get another amen? amen? All right. You know, I was having dinner with Mike and Debbie the other night, and it just occurred to me that I'm sitting in a restaurant, having Mexican, just had church on Sunday, going to church on Wednesday. That's beautiful. We feel like so many bad things are happening. But we've been had the privilege to worship God in this sanctuary this entire year, past year, except for a couple of weeks, a few weeks. We're here. You know, there's a lot of other states that's got a lot worse than us. You know, and I'll tell you what. I'm not going to miss church. I don't know how much longer we've got to be together. How many of you have loved ones that are sick or you had relatives that are passing away? You want to spend every moment with them, don't you? Well, that's how I feel about you guys. I don't want to miss the moments that I have with you. Yes, we'll see each other in glory, but you know what? I love you. But when I get to heaven, 
there's going to be a few other people I want to see. Yeah, that's right. Amen? I got a few questions and a few people that I want, that I'm going to get in line to talk to, even though we're going to have eternity together. But I'm just saying, you know, I want to take every advantage that I have while we can still be together. Amen? To not take it for granted. Because there are cities and states where they're not meeting. Now, some of that is forced. Some of that is some of the uh, church's leadership's choice, whatever it may be. But I'm thankful that we're here together tonight. Amen. And I'm thankful that you came. And I'm thankful that I was able to have the freedoms to come. And as, yes, our governor maybe made me mad a couple of times. But I'll tell you what, he hasn't sent any officers here to lock us up. And we still have the right to, to a religious assembly. Yep. Still works in Claremont County, praise God. Amen? Hallelujah. And so I'm encouraged by that. I hope you are too. And, um, you know, I would just want to speak a little bit, not a whole lot, but as you saw Sunday, man, I could hardly sing that song about us being raised from the dead. Because if there's two things that I believe with all my heart, I mean with everything in my being, my sins are forgiven. And I'm going to be raised from the dead. Or I'm going to be changed if I'm still alive when he comes. This body will not see corruption. I believe with all my heart in the resurrection. And I know you do too. And I just really want it. It's our greatest hope, man. And so I know you believe in it, but I thought, well, what do I want to, what do I want to study tonight? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to just give you some foundation scriptures and talk a little bit about the resurrection tonight. Um, and the greatest resurrection chapter in the Bible, I believe, is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we'll start there tonight, and we'll move around, amen? Um, hope you got your Bibles, and you're ready to flip some pages with me tonight. Um, let's start off in um, verse 12. Say amen when you're there. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now verse 12 says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So Paul is preaching that Christ was raised from the dead. Peter was preaching this. All the disciples were testifying that Jesus was raised from the dead. But there was some saying that there is no resurrection. Particularly, we know that the religious groups in, in uh, Israel, there were divided between parties. You had the Pharisees and you had the Sadducees. Or the Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. So Paul said in verse 13, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. 
So if there's no resurrection, then what we're saying about Christ being raised from the dead, that's not true. In verse 14, and so if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain? Or then is our preaching vain and your faith also is in vain? So Paul's saying, if Christ is not raised from the dead, everything that we've been preaching is a waste of time. And your faith in Christ is a waste of time. Or it's unprofitable. And then verse 15. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ. Who raised up Christ? God raised up Christ. And we've been testifying that God has raised up Christ from the dead. And if you're saying there's no resurrection, then we're false witnesses. But verse 16 says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. And look at this. And you are yet in your sins. If Christ be not raised. You see, the cross is where the penalty of sin was paid for. But the resurrection is where the justification of that sin is at. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus died. You need to believe that he rose. Because if he did not rise, who will be the justifier saying that your sin was paid for? Who will be the one to witness that you are without sin? Jesus is the one that will be standing there saying, innocent. That's why he had to be raised. Because he's the one that will say, I paid for you. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. The penalty for sin has been paid for. And I'm justifying that by raising you from the dead. The very fact that you are going to be raised from the dead is proof that you are forgiven of sin. So the two go hand in hand. That's why I always say empty cross, empty tomb. The Catholics always want to put Jesus on a crucifix. Jesus is not on a crucifix. Jesus is on a throne. Why is he on a throne? Because he came off the cross, was put in a tomb, and three days later he was raised from the dead. And he is seated forever at the right hand of God. Now, that's why he says, if Christ not be not raised, then your faith's in vain and you are in your sins. In verse 18, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ, they're perished. All the guys that went before us, believing in Christ being raised from the dead, lived a holy life, gave their whole life serving Christ. What a waste of time. They should have just carried on carousing and living like there is no tomorrow, that there's no consequence for sin because Christ has not risen. 
And verse 19, so if in this life only we have hope in Christ, in just in this life, we are of all men most miserable. If this is all we're hoping for, just to come to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, read the Bible, believe the Bible, live a holy life, and it's only for now, what? That's miserable, man. You know, the Bible says that sin has pleasure for a moment. You know, sin has pleasure in this life. But sin does not have pleasure in the life to come. Holiness doesn't necessarily always have pleasure in this life. But I'll tell you what, holiness has great pleasure in the life to come. Amen? Amen? So all of this is just Paul speculating and, and making an argument. But then verse 20, the great buts of Scripture. But. But now is Christ risen from the dead. So, but now. You know, those of you grammar students know that when you see the conjunction but, it means forget about everything that was previously said or written and now focus on what's next. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Everybody say first fruits. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the great equalizer right there. One, people say, oh man, it had been so great had Adam not eaten the apple. Yeah, but Adam was the first Adam. The Bible says Christ is the last Adam. You see, the last undid what the first did. And why does the scriptures through the Holy Spirit, they don't call him the second Adam because there's not going to be another one. He's the last. Christ died for our sins once and for all, the Bible says. It is appointed once for man to die and then comes the judgment. Christ, the last Adam. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Say own order. So Paul is saying there's an order in the resurrection. There's a process, there's steps in the resurrection. Christ the first fruits, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. All right? So go with me. We're going to talk about the order of the resurrection for a moment, okay? So the first thing we have to understand is there, there are two resurrections according to Jesus. Go with me over to John chapter 5. Make a note of that. Every man in his own order, and Jesus said there will be two resurrections. John chapter 5, looking at verse, uh, well, let's start a couple verses up there. Tell me when you get to chapter 5, say amen. Amen. All right, John chapter 
5, verse 24, a verse that should be underlined in everybody's Bible. Verse 24 says, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life. And they shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Say, passed from death unto life. Passed from death unto life. And verily I say unto you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. So marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice. How many shall hear his voice? All. Not just the saints, but the wicked as well. Verse 29, and they shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. All right, so resurrection of life, resurrection of damnation. Two resurrections there. Now, Jesus said, Truly, this is a thing that he has been given life and all authority to execute judgment. So when we hear the word, when we hear Jesus' words, we now, in this, in this life, we have passed from death unto life already. Because when God says something, he sees it as it is and as it will be. So you, in the eyes of God, you're raised from the dead. That's why Paul said, because you are raised from the dead, therefore live like you're raised from the dead and reconcile your mortal body buried and you being raised unto newness of life through the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's Paul's gospel. And it comes by hearing. If we do not hear the word of God, we are not going to live the resurrection life. Just as the way, the same way that it works to get you born again is the same way it works to get you sanctified. We must be hearers of the word and doers of the word to let that resurrection life that is within every believer, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. That's why Paul called it Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. Of what glory? It's the glory that will come when you are physically raised from the dead or changed into a body that will never die again. That's the hope of the believer. And let me tell you something. These guys can get up there and they can say these silly prayers that try to include everybody and make everybody feel good that they're on the right track. But I'm telling you, there's only one person that is going to be raised from the dead or is going to be changed into the, into the beautiful, uncorruptible body 
new body, the only person that is going to receive that is those that believe on the name of Jesus Christ. The man, Christ Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus in the Bible. And let me tell you something. Just like Pastor said, they're trying to blame us for the, for the things that happened. Hey, welcome to the club. They blame Christians for Rome being on fire. Yeah, that's right. Who set Rome on fire? Amen. Nero set Rome on fire because he was a crazy man. But what did he do? He used the Christians as a scapegoat. And get used to it from now on as the church and the born-again believer being used as a scapegoat. Why? Because God, through Jesus Christ, has given all authority and power to the church here on earth. Until he comes back for us. Now, so there's two resurrections. So because there's a resurrection of the just and there's a resurrection of the unjust or of the righteous and the wicked, all right? Paul told us in 15, 1 Corinthians or chapter 15, there was an order. So there is an order of this resurrection unto life. The first fruits, go with me over to Matthew 27. And I want to divide the resurrection of the righteous into three categories. The first is the first fruits, the second is the harvest, and the third is the gleanings. All right, you can write that down. First fruits, harvest, and gleanings. Now we know what first fruits are. That's the, that's the bit that comes, that's the first part of the harvest, it's not the main harvest. It, but it is the beginning of the harvest. Then you have the main harvest. And then you have what's the gleanings. Remember what the gleanings were? God told Israel when they would harvest the field that they would leave the corners for the poor. And that if, when they harvested, they would not go back and pick up the leftovers. That was called the gleanings. They were part of the harvest, but they were left till the end. All right? So Matthew 27, say amen if you're there. And look with me at uh, verse 51. Verse 51 of Matthew chapter 27, it says, Now behold, the veil of the temple was rent or torn in two, rent in twain, from the top to the bottom. I love that. That was a mighty curtain. And there's only one hand that could rip that curtain from the top to the bottom. That's God's hand. That same hand that wrote on the wall and told, what's his name? Belshazzar, your days are numbered. Was that his name right? I got his name right? Belshazzar and the king of Babylonia. The same hand that wrote on that hand. Boy, it ripped that veil down. And it said, tore in two from top to bottom. And the earth did what? Quake. And the rocks were rent, or they were split. Split the rocks. 
When I read that, it makes me think of verse 52, and the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. So when he talked, what did they use to cover the tombs with? Rocks. They, you know, they, they, you know, they used what we would call a mausoleum today. They didn't bury their people in the ground. They buried them in caves or little, little mausoleums. And when this earthquake that split the veil, it ripped the rocks open. In other words, it made a way for those resurrected bodies to come out. And it says, the bodies of the saints which slept, they arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection. And they went unto the holy city and they appeared unto many. That's a powerful, that's, could you imagine? I mean, let's just get a, you're sitting there eating dinner after you stabilize yourself from a great earthquake and here comes in Aunt Betsy. With a ham sandwich. You know, I mean, it's only two verses, three verses, but think about how wild those three verses are. Okay? These saints that rose from the dead with Christ are what is known as the first fruits of the resurrection. And Christ took these saints with him to heaven. The other people that he took with him is when it says in, and this is something you can think about because if he said that when Christ went down, he preached to Abraham's bosom, those that were waiting on him. You see, the resurrection is not just your soul. It's your body. So I'd like to think that perhaps... If this res- if we're being if our bodies are being raised, that those people that were in Abraham's bosom, this could have been where they got ra- where they met their body, where their body was raised up from the tomb. It's possible. Hold on just a sec, Clark. I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So that's just something to ponder on. I'm not saying this is is, I'm saying it's it's a curious thought, okay? So that's the first fruits. Now The harvest, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians 4. So that was the, we dealt with the first fruits. There was definitely people that were raised from the dead when Jesus was raised, after Jesus' resurrection. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this. 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, let's look at uh, verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. You there? I would not have you to be ignorant. Brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
All right? For this we say unto you, underline, by the word of the Lord. It's not something Paul made up. This is by the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Or in other words, we won't, we won't go before them. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. He will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And who will rise first? The dead in Christ will rise first, all right? When um, another margin note for that word prevent is proceed, is a good way to say that. We will not precede those that have died before us. Remember, what did Corinthians say? Each in his own order. There's an order to the resurrection. Amen. The dead in Christ rise first, and then verse 17 we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. This is the comfort of the church. The hope of our resurrection is what should make us happy. It should, when the storms of life are hitting, this should be the thing that anchors you back to it all. No Christian on planet earth should be afraid of death. No born-again Christian. Concerns? Wondering how family members will get on? Yes. Maybe, you know, some sadness, like when someone goes away on a trip and you don't maybe know if you're going to see them again. But the hope of the Christian is we will see each other again. But we should not be afraid. I mean, physically, actually terrified or afraid of death. It should be a comfort that will be raised from the dead. So that's the first part. That's the first fruits, or the, that's the main harvest, okay? There are some that rose when Jesus did, but those now, there's the church for 2,000 years, there are believers that are in the ground, and there are believers here on earth. That is the main harvest, all right? That's the first, resurrect, first second part of the resurrection of the just, all right? Last part, Go with me over to Revelations chapter 20. Revelations 20 and um, verse 4. Revelation chapter 20 verse 4. You guys getting something out of this tonight? All right, a couple of you, that's good. All right, Revelations chapter... 20 verse 4, say amen when you're there. And this is important stuff. I mean, this is the stuff I was raised on. I don't know, I I can't listen to some of the stuff that they're preaching on TV today. I wasn't raised on that stuff. This is what my hope and my anchor is set on, these things in the scriptures. I just, there's nothing else that really does it for me, that floats my boat. You say, Jeremy, can you preach something else? No, I can't. Not really, because this is, this is what gets me. This is what got me in. This is what's kept me for 20-something years. This is what's going to keep me until either I die or he comes back again for me. Amen? Amen. Now, verse 4 of Revelations 20 says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. 
and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for what? The witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. So there, those of you that do not know much about the book of Revelation, this book teaches us that there will be an empire set up at the last days, a confederate empire of 10 kings. And out of those kingdoms, we don't know what those nations are, but there's a confederation of some, okay? A confederation of 10 nations, and out of those 10 nations, one person will rise out of those nations, And he is called the Antichrist, the beast, all right? And he will persecute the saints. He will persecute, in my honest opinion, and I'll give that reason why for a minute, he will persecute the Jews, the Israel, and those that believe the message of the two witnesses that come from Israel. And the 144,000 that are sealed. Now, these people, because they did not bow to the reign of this beast, they will be beheaded. They will be persecuted and killed for who they stand for. In verse 5 it says, but the rest of the dead live not again until when the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. What is the first resurrection? The first fruits, the harvest, and these tribulation saints here, which I like to call the gleanings. This is the first resurrection. But there's another group of dead that is not going to be raised for a whole thousand years later. Okay? Now look at verse 11. I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. But there was another book, the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Not just the earth, but the sea gave up their dead too, verse 13. And death and hell were delivered up. Death and hell delivered up the dead, which were in them. When he's saying death and hell there, he's speaking of hell, the Greek word Hades, all right? Not Gehenna. Gehenna is the lake of fire. Hades is the temporary place of hell. You might have heard me teach this before. Hades is is like city jail, all right? It's a holding tank for the federal penitentiary which is the lake of fire. Now, Hades, according to Luke's gospel, had two compartments. You had Abram's bosom, and you had the place of torment. This is a real story. Anytime Jesus says a certain man, this is not a parable, it's real life. And so, paradise and torment were two compartments in Hades. Now, when, like I said, when Jesus rose from, when Jesus died on the cross, 
all right? It says he went down, took captivity captive. He took all the believers, including Abraham, everybody that was believing that the Messiah should come, were then raised to life with Christ and taken with him into heaven, all right? That chamber, when, when, a, when a New Testament saint dies, they don't go down to Hades anymore. They now go to be present with the Lord. That place is empty. That's not necessary anymore. But there is a place of torment that has never been emptied out. Okay? So when he says death and hell, he's talking about death and Hades, all right, were brought back to life. So everybody that's in that compartment of hell, that place of torment, will be raised to life in their body. It's not just a soul, it's a body that is raised to life. If that is not the case, then how come Jesus could say the lake of fire or Gehenna is a place where there is gnashing of teeth? A soul doesn't have teeth, but a soul in a body has teeth. How can there be pain and torment? There's a physical body. People think that the dead, the wicked, are not going to be raised to life. They are going to be raised to life. Didn't Jesus say that in gospel Chapter 5, it says the wicked and the righteous will be raised from the dead. Everybody will be raised from the dead. So the sea gave up their dead. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And then verse 14, key verse, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That's Gehenna. This is the second death. All right? Now look at verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such, the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. All right? So... The order of the resurrections, every man in his own order according to Corinthians, it goes like this. Two resurrections. Resurrection of the wicked, resurrection of the just. The just are raised in three phases. Phase one, the first fruits that came when Jesus rose from the dead. Phase two is us. Whether we be raised from the dead or whether we be changed in the twinkling of an eye, according to Paul's gospel, Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians. That's the harvest. Phase three is during the tribulation, those that will give their lives because they bear witness of Christ and refuse the mark of the beast, they will be beheaded, but then they will be raised to life and they're with Jesus and they're with us. And so... That completes the resurrection of the righteous right there. The resurrection of the wicked. So what happens then is all three of those groups that were resurrected will be with Christ when Christ comes down to earth to judge the nations. The nations will be judged and the resurrected saints, all three phases, will rule and reign with him on earth for a thousand years. Why is that? Because didn't Jesus or didn't God promise that the seed of David would reign on earth? And he also promised Abraham, 
I give you all this land. All of that land is what Jesus will rule and reign and we will rule and reign with him. For a thousand years, the Bible says, 1,000 years. Then at the end of those thousand years, for some weird reason, there'll be people on earth when Satan, it says in another place in Revelation, Satan will be bound. He will have no influence on planet earth. But he will be released again and he will fool many again. And there'll be another rebellion against God and his people. And those people then will be cast into the lake of fire. So at the end of that thousand years, that resurrection of the wicked, God will take care of. See, that's why he's waiting till the end of the thousand years. The Lord knows that there's gonna be one more filter process, one more rebellion on planet earth. And then what God's gonna do is he's just gonna take care of all the wicked, all the rebellious, the beast, the false prophet, all right? All the different characters that you see in Revelation and all the wicked that decided to follow him and every wicked person that has ever come before that is all gonna be raised up and thrown into the lake of fire in one fell swoop. And that is the second resurrection. So with the few moments of time that I have here, I just wanna put a little bug in your ear. I you know, people have said it. I've heard pastors say it. Many, many people have said it, and I've even said it myself. Well, I don't really know when the harvest is going to come. When is the rapture? Okay, now we have to understand that the rapture is when the church, whether they be dead or whether they be alive, are brought up with the Lord to meet him in the air. When does that happen? There's many questions of when it happens. There are two reasons why I think this question brings confusion. Number one, you don't rightly divide the word. In other words, rightly dividing the word, you don't separate Israel, the nation of Israel, from the church. The scripture does not treat these two things as, as the same thing. The scripture divides these two groups. Paul even divided these two groups. He admonished the church, hey, don't think you're all that. God's not finished with Israel. He told us that in Romans, okay? So that's the number one reason why I think that where the rapture happens gets confused because we don't separate the church from Israel. The second reason why I think we get confused on where the rapture is is because we try to look at current events and we think, man, these current events, it seems like it's pretty bad out there. Maybe we are gonna go through some hard times and maybe we are gonna go through the tribulation because this is, might be even the start of the tribulation that we're going through. So in other words, so the, the way to, there's two areas that you can, you can put your anchor on to help you deal with these issues. Okay, first of all, you've gotta understand what Jesus said in Matthew 24. So go with me real quick there. Matthew 24, and we know this is the first thing that Jesus said to the disciples in the Mount of Olives, and um, Matthew 24, let's look at uh, 
verse 21. Now, there's a lot of Bible teachers that, you know, Matthew is a very Jewish, has a lot of Jewish influence, that its message was very Jewish to Jewish believers. Luke's gospel is very uh, Gentile in, its, in the way it was written. Luke was a Gentile. Matthew was a Jew. So there's a lot of commentators that believe that part of, the, part of this Olivet Discourse, there was some of it that was spoken of at the temple and there was some that was spoken of on the Mount of Olives. There was some that had a Jewish perspective before 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed and some that had a perspective after 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed. So verse 21 of Matthew 24 says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time no, nor ever shall be. Okay? Was the Holocaust bad? Yeah, very bad. But was it as bad as verse 21? No. Because Jesus has said, what's going to happen has never happened before, and nothing ever after it will be as bad, okay? So the, the point here is that this is bad, okay? I mean, this is really bad. So you can take all of human history and all the atrocities that has ever happened to a human being since the time man was walked the earth, nothing is ever gonna be as bad as it's gonna be according to verse 21, Okay? So whatever we're going through, we can reference history. It's not Germany 1940, okay? It's not Germany 1940. This is gonna be so bad, we can't even probably, we can't even think about how bad this is gonna be, okay? Now let me tell you something. How could it ever get this bad is he's talking about. If the church, who Jesus said, I give all authority, all the power of heaven, Jesus has given to the institution of the church. We are the light of the world. I don't honestly believe that there's any way verse 21 can happen why the authority of the believer is in the earth. If Jesus said, if you ask and it shall be given to you, that's what he said. How can an organization, how can a group of people with the authority of the believer that Jesus gave to the church, how could verse 21 even come into an existence? Okay, that's the first thought, all right? Second thought, Jeremiah 30. Go with me over there real fast. Jeremiah chapter 30. And I want you to look at verse, verse 7. Verse 4, actually, we'll start with. Now, these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning 
who? Israel and Judah. So that's just another way of incorporating all 12 tribes. Because remember, there was a rebellion where 10 tribes of the north, and then there was two tribes, Judah and Benjamin of the south. So when he says Israel and Judah, he's including all the nation of Israel. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask you now and see whether a man doth travail with child. In other words, does a man have pain like a woman bearing a child? But wherefore do I see, or how then do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman and travail? So if a man can't have a baby or scream in pain like a woman does, how come I see men doing this? And all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, verse 7, that day is great. It's so that none is like it. It is even the time of whose trouble? Jacob's trouble. Not, Not the church's trouble. It's the time of Jacob's trouble. But he who... Jacob shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off thy neck and will burst thy bonds, and strangers shall no more serve themselves of him. But they shall serve the Lord their God, and who? David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Now, David's already dead. Jeremiah, was a, he was a post-exile prophet. Okay, David died before the, the Israel was taken out of her nation. But he's talking about the seed of David. He's talking about Jesus there. So when is Jesus going to reign? He's going to reign for a thousand years. He's talking about The David, their king, is going to come and deliver them. Deliver who? Deliver Israel from the time of Jacob's trouble. Verse 10, therefore fear thou not, O my servant Jacob, saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return and shall be in rest. Be quiet and none shall make him afraid. So, the tribulation is for Israel. The tribulation is a time that has been designated by God for Israel. One more scripture, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 It's a powerful verse, powerful verse that totally puts us into perspective. To sum it up, Daniel, he was taken away with the people that were brought away from Israel. And he was an amazing person. He loved God, and he had great wisdom, and he read the Bible. Because he was reading in the book of Jeremiah how God 
had said that Israel was going to be exiled or taken away from their land for 70 years. And so Jeremiah is looking at the calendar and he's thinking, these 70 years are almost up. Now those 70 years were Israel's payback for not letting their land have a Sabbath rest. Israel was supposed to let their land rest every seven years. Okay? So that means they hadn't done it for a long time, huh? Because if, if they were supposed to let the land rest every seventh year and they owe God 70, that's like what? 490 years they went without letting the land rest? Something like that? So they were, God was going to let the land rest. He's like, if you don't let the land rest while you're in it, I'm going to remove you from it so it can rest. Amen. So Daniel, having insight to what Jeremiah was saying, he began to pray and fast for 21 days. And that's where we get our scriptures that talk about, you know, the, the, his prayers he heard his prayers, but there was resistance. You can read the chapter, all of chapter 9. It's really good. But look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God and for the holy mountain of my God, yet while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. Oh, that's cool. We get to see it right here. And so he says in verse 1, And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter. What is he saying? Understand the matter. Is it some great, whoa, confusion, some high out thing that we're not supposed to know or maybe guess? No. He said, I've come to bring understanding. You understand this matter. And consider the vision. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, the Hebrews know what a, with the Hebrew word week, therefore, it's a group of 70. So he's saying 70 sevens. Okay, so 70 sevens would be 490. So he's saying, I have determined that in 490 years or in 70 weeks, these things will happen. That the, to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring an everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. There's your list. Have all those things happened yet? Well, let me, has he made, um, has he made a place to finish transgression and make an end of sins? He's done that part. Um, has he made reconciliation for iniquity? Yeah. Has he brought in everlasting righteousness? No. Maybe you can look at that both ways. I mean, he's brought in everlasting righteousness that we are righteous, aren't we? He's, made, he's provided righteousness through the resurrection for us, but he hasn't brought in righteousness throughout the entire planet Earth, has he? But he's brought righteousness in the church, but not in the earth. 
So, okay, so that's debatable. The next one, has he sealed up all vision and prophecy? Has all visions and all prophecies been fulfilled? No. Has he anointed the most holy? In other words, to anoint was the same way that David was anointed as king. Maybe, no. Okay, so we've got half of that verse fulfilled. So in the 70 weeks that God said all these things are going to be fulfilled, all these things are going to be fulfilled in those 70 weeks. Know therefore and understand, verse 25, that from going forth of the commandment to restore and to rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks, three score and two weeks, or 69 weeks. Okay? So, from the time that there is a, a, a decree to go build the walls in Jerusalem till the time that Messiah comes on the scene, the Bible says it'll be 69 weeks. So, what is that? 490 minus, uh, minus 7 is what? 483 years. Okay? 483 years. Now, they, the, the Holy Ghost got this spot on here, guys. There's a lot of different decrees on when to go back to Israel, according to Ezra and Nehemiah, but there's only one decree in history when Artaxerxes told Nehemiah to go rebuild the wall. And from the time of that decree, and you can study this off, a wonderful book by a Scottish man named Sir Anderson, you can study these things out. From the time that that decree went out to the time that they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, he that comes in the highest. And the Pharisee says, tell those people to shut up. Because they were singing in a messianic psalm that belonged for the returning king, the Messiah. That's what they were singing. That's why the Pharisees got annoyed. From the time that Jesus rode that donkey in through the gates to the time of that decree in Nehemiah, was 483 years to the day. To the day. To the day. What did he say? O Israel, O Israel, how I have wanted to gather you up as a, as a chicken does her, her little babies, yeah? He wanted to bring the kingdom to Israel at that moment. That's why he said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven was at hand while Jesus was there. But they, he says, but you would have it not. He wanted to bring the kingdom, but they weren't having him as king. The king was there and they did not want him. So what happened from that moment on, according to Romans chapter 12, the clock stopped. 490 years was going to be when all these things were gonna happen, but something happened at the 483rd year. They rejected the Messiah. And because they rejected the Messiah, the clock for Israel stopped. And praise God, because the clock for Israel stopped, me and you are here born again today. Because had Israel never rejected the king, there would never would have been the cross, there never would have been a resurrection. God had all this in plan. God knew all this had to come to pass. So the Israel clock stopped, the 483 years stopped, and we have been going on now with the church age ever since. Now, when Jesus comes and raptures the church, 
He is now no longer. This is a dispensation of grace we're in. This is the period where God deals with the church through grace. When's the last time you were able to go turn blood into water or a river into blood? Has anybody, have you ever done anything that Moses has done? Is God judging nations like he judged Egypt? Is he raising up those people? I've not seen it. And why have we not seen it? Because God is not judging nations right now. God is saving nations. God's grace is available to all people that will repent, okay? Because why? God is not dealing with nations right now. He's dealing with people. He's dealing with individuals. But when the church is raptured out of here, God will not be dealing with the earth the way he has dealt with the earth the last 2,000 years. He will now be dealing with the earth the same way that he dealt with nations back in Moses' time. And it's the same way he'll deal with the earth during Israel's time. That's why the tribulation is not for the church, it's for Israel. Did we reject this? Did we reject the Messiah? I received the Messiah. I didn't reject him. When someone told me the gospel, I didn't say, I don't believe that. I reject him. He's not savior. No, I received it. Israel rejected him as a nation. And so Israel is going to have to suffer. They're going to have to pay the price. But Jeremiah said, don't worry. I'm going to deliver you. What kind of deliverance? The same kind of deliverance that when the Jews, when, the, when Jacob's or Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, he went to Egypt, didn't he? Egypt represents a Gentile nation. Joseph was salvation for Egypt. If it hadn't been for Joseph, they would have died in a famine. So Joseph was salvation to the Gentiles because he was rejected by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by his brothers and he was salvation to the Gentiles, me and you. But when Jesus comes back the same way that Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. Did he take revenge on his brothers? No, he showed mercy to his brothers. In the same way that Joseph showed mercies to his brothers, it's the same way when Jesus comes back. It's gonna be hard times. The Holocaust is nothing compared to what's gonna be happening. But we, praise God, with Jesus, will come back and we will show mercy to our brothers and sisters. We will help Jesus deliver the nation of Israel from those that are going to oppress them. Along with those, now there may be, there, I believe there'll be people, they're just called saints. They're not called elect, they're not called Jews or Gentiles, but there'll be a people after the church is raptured that will believe the message that is being spoken. And they will die those people will be raised from the dead and they will be brought together with us and they will come down with us all right so that's why i believe that when we try to say all these things about oh the church is going to go through the tribulation da, 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 it's going to the trip you got to understand guys according to the word of god the tribulation is not for the church the tribulation is for getting Israel back into salvation. 
Because right now, the nation of Israel is not in salvation. And it's very, it's very clear, and we got to understand that God deals with the earth different ways from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation. There are stages and ways that God has dealt with the earth. God dealt with Adam and Eve differently than he dealt with Moses in Israel. There were different times. God is dealing with the earth today differently than the way he dealt with Israel and Moses. Amen? So I hope that's helpful to you. It's what I stand on. You want to know what I believe? That's what I believe. People say, oh, Jeremy, is the church going through the tribulation? I say no, based on the fact that the tribulation is not for the church. God has not designed the tribulation to purify the church. God has designed the tribulation to purify the nation of Israel. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. I'm so glad you guys came to the Lord's house tonight. Now you go home safely. We got prayer Friday. We got church on Sunday. And just treasure what you heard tonight. That was, uh, that was good. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. We pray for those that are here tonight, that their families would be whole, those sicknesses would be healed, they have safety of travel, and they would prosper in what they put their hands to do. And so the Lord bless and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thank you.